Welcome to the OneFootball Premier League podcast. Aubameyang leaves his Barca move late. Spurs make Juventus double swoop. Lampard ushers in a new era at Goodison Park, plus plenty more. On today's podcast, as joining myself, Matt Froelich, are Dan Burke. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So transfer deadline day has passed, rumours were spread, tweets were sent, many of them not in the slightest bit true, but we had fun anyways. Uh, guys, how was it in the one football newsroom coping with all the deadline day madness? Well, I, I was off, I had a great day off and didn't pay attention to any of it, so you'll have to feel yeah. that one, Joel. Yeah, you still forget. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it always threatens to be manic and you know, really tiring, but um, I mean, it's, it's never that bad. I mean, there were a few that we were hanging out for a bit and... I don't think me and, and, and Podrick Whelan, who are also working, we didn't really get off shift until way past 12.30. So it was a tiring night, but you know, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was also a lot of fun. Yeah, I love it. I love the drama. <laughs> Is there, is there any drama though? I feel like very like there's very sort of last picked for football at school energy to transfer deadline day these days. It's all a bit embarrassing, isn't it? I find it is. It's it's like just a terrible postman. It fails to deliver. That is, <laughs> that is what I make of it. It's got there's the been about two good transfer deadline days in my lifetime. I think <laughs> one was when City signed Rubinho. I can't even remember the other one, but it's just <laughs> it, it never really lives up to the hype anymore. No, it's all about the yellow tire grade, isn't it? You know, and the, the Sky Sports shoes, Jim White lovers. That's where, <laughs> that's where it Oh, so we've got well, a Jim even White hater. Not anymore, is he? Yeah. That was years ago, Joel. When was the last time you watched Transfer Deadline Day? Hey, I'm 30. I'm, I'm up to date with the kids anymore. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Right, we will get down to some of these transfers as this is our transfer deadline day roundup. We'll we'll look at all the goings on on a what was actually turned out to be a rather busy day yesterday. We will start at the top with the biggest one, which at the time of recording somehow is still yet to be announced. I don't understand how Barcelona work in mysterious ways, quite clearly. Um, but Abamyang flew to Barcelona apparently of his own accord on a family holiday. It was very, there was odd and wingy vibes flying around, but it, <laughs> it, it got done. There was, there was a time when they thought it wasn't going to be done. Barcelona hadn't agreed anything. Then he said, oh, I'm on a family holiday. And then it was being done. Um, but yeah, it looks as though they have made the Arsenal former club captain uh, one of their signings. And it now means that along with Pablo Mari, Kalazinac, Maitland-Niles and Chambers, They've all departed Arsenal this month, um, which is an awful lot of outgoings for a team that didn't have enough to play the North London derby. But we'll put those things to the side. Uh, yesterday, actually, I was talking with Lewis Ambrose, of course, in the One Football Newsroom, who wasn't overly optimistic about having Lacazette and Nketiah leading Arsenal's top four challenge up front. Um, is he right to be concerned or do they still have enough quality, given that they have no other commitments heading into the back end of the season apart from the Premier League, Dan? I would be concerned, yeah. I mean, I think Lacazette has done has done quite well in uh, the sort of period that, that Aubameyang hasn't been available. He's been captain of the side, hasn't he? And, and hasn't hasn't been too bad, really. I'm not a big fan of his, generally speaking, but I think he's done okay. And Ketia, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's a, the required quality for a club with ambitions of the top four. I think he's probably a Premier League quality player, but that's about it. That's much I'll say. I know he's still quite young and could, could still develop, but... Yeah, they do look a bit light on numbers. I think it might be a good opportunity to see what Gabriel Martinelli can do as a as a number nine a little bit more. That would be that would be sort of the silver lining to come out of this. But I think it's a bit bizarre to let all those players go and, and hamstring yourself in, in this way. And I think to be fair with Arsenal, top four was 
not really on the agenda at the start of the season, was it? It wasn't really one of their targets. I don't think anyone expected them to even challenge for it. So if they finish fifth or sixth or seventh, even come the end of the season, you'd probably say that's about right. That's that's not a bad season, all told. But I do feel like there, there has an opportunity to finish top four has presented itself to them. And I'd be very uh, pessimistic about their chances of getting it with the way the squad is at the moment. I mean, you never know. With a, with a smaller squad, it means... Players get more game time, they get a bit more rhythm, and if you don't have an injury crisis or a COVID crisis, it might keep people a bit sharper than they would otherwise be. I think they have done quite well to, to get rid of some unwanted players and get rid of a lot of deadwood. It's a bit of a hard sell to fans, isn't it? Saying, oh, we've trimmed the wage bill, isn't that brilliant? Like Fans are like, I don't care. I want to see my team being successful. I want to see good players. But um, So yeah, I am a bit surprised that they didn't bring anyone in, but I think... Yeah, it's been a pretty average window overall and, and building for the future. It might be one that they look back on and think, yeah, we did okay there, actually. We got rid of some players that we didn't want anymore. I was going to say, Martinelli would be my go-to. I think he's been in really good mm. form as a left winger, but definitely he could get a run in the team, considering just because attacking midfield is a place where they do have a few more options. But I think the one thing that strikes me the most about this is that this isn't a late bid from Barcelona, Arsenal have been caught unawares. Aubameyang's turned around and said, I want to go. And they've gone, ah, we're panicked. We'll let him go, right? This is, to all intents and purposes, Arsenal have known since December the 6th when when uh, Aubameyang was stripped of the captaincy, right? Hasn't played for them since then. This uh, Aubameyang leaving the club has been in the offing for a, the best part of eight weeks. And you're telling me Arsenal couldn't put a plan together to get a striker in since then, Joel? They never had a plan together, but they, they may have had you know, a number one target, a number two target, a number three target, and these guys were available. That, that could have been the case. I mean, if you believe reports from the Athletic, they were looking at Dominic Carvert-Lewin, uh, Alexander Isaac, and uh, it was a Dusan Flavovic, who obviously went on to Juventus, and Everton were never going to sell Carvert-Lewin in the middle of a season when he might get relegated. And mm. um, I think it's, Isaac from Sociedad had a release clause, but maybe Arsenal couldn't afford to pay that um, in January. And it is always hard to to buy quality in January, that's what they always say, that's what they always say, and I think there's maybe, <laughs> maybe some some truth to that, or there's you know, proof in the pudding on that, um, and, you know, and the case is Arsenal have been, I look at this in a bit of a positive way, Arsenal have been guilty in the past of giving big contracts to, to players who, you know, have been primed to decline in the in the next two, three years, like sort of Mesut Ozil and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, you know, and that's, that's left them in a difficult financial position. And, and maybe this point of view that they've taken during this transfer window is is showing a sign that, that they're perhaps learning those lessons and they're not going to go and spend too much money on players that they're not completely sure is going to benefit their team. And that that looks like it could be the case and it could be different. It could be they try to get a few, you know, a striker in and they've gone around the houses and not been able to do it. But, you know, They've got a small squad now. Mikel Arteta is clearly big on on using players on the training ground and developing them, and and now he's got no excuse to be able to to get, have the chance to develop them because they're going to play one game a week from now until the end of the season, and he's going to have a lot of time on the training pitch. and And hopefully, you know, Gunners fans will be, you know, a bit disappointed they've not got a shiny new toy in, but they'll be hopeful and be, I should say, should be expecting their players that they do have to, to develop. I never thought I'd hear you speak so nicely about Arsenal, Joel. <laughs> I'm a nice guy, what do you say? <laughs> okay, well, we'll move on to this next team and see how nicely you speak about Everton. <laughs> Frank Lampard is in. Um, 
immediately comes in the morning on transfer deadline day, and Donovan van der Beek and Deli Ali join the club. Uh, simple question, Dan: Do they join without the attraction of playing for Lampard? Everyone talks about Gerald's pull. This is why I'm signing for Villa. Gerald's <laughs> pull. Is, is Lampard got this? Whatever it is, is it a nice aftershave, or does he actually have general <laughs> attraction to playing for Everton? <laughs> Uh, it's a good question because would you is Lampard appealing playing under Frank Lampard appealing to players at this point? I don't know. Maybe if you're a, sort of a young Chelsea player, that might have had mm. a had a attraction at one point. But you know, given the job that he did at Chelsea, which was bang average at best, you know, given the job that he did at Derby, which wasn't particularly good either, I don't know if he has that sort of law as a manager at the moment. Really, that kind of pull. So I, I would imagine maybe Deli Ali had some idea of playing on Lampard would be a good thing for his career at this point. I don't know if Van der Beek did. I think Van der Beek's probably just gone there because it would have gone anywhere, really, within reason that would have offered him regular first-team football. That's what he needs now, doesn't he? Um, I suppose it's kind of the same with Deli Alley. I mean, his, his, his Spurs career has fizzled out pretty badly. It's been on the wall for quite a while now that he that he wasn't a part of the, the future at Spurs. And I think going to Everton is a good move for him. I don't know if he's if he's really going to kick on and reignite his career now. And who knows, maybe Frank Lampard is the player to coach him into into the play that he had the potential to be a few years ago and, and, and teach him a few tricks here and there and that, that will uh that will sort of get him back on track. But yeah, I don't know if Frank Lampard has that kind of pull as a manager at this moment in time, really. I, it's not like going to play for Pep Guardiola or something, yeah. is it? It's not <laughs> it's not. I think he might be riding on the coattails of the whole Gerard thing. Maybe yeah, this, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone talks about Gerard having big pull and Lampard's like, Well, don't forget me too. I just I can't <laughs> I can't understand where this a draw and attraction comes to Everton towards. I mean, those two have left a top four scrap, right? Let's call it United and Spurs for pretty much a relegation battle at Everton. And I know that Donny van der Beek is not his problem because he won't be at Everton come the end of the season because it's a loan. But for Ali, like, you know, one wrong turn and he could be in the championship next season. <laughs> I think I don't know, understand where Everton's lofty ambitions come from. Um, but you mentioned there, you don't think Lampard's very good. Joel, do you think, A, he's good enough to take this team to where they want to be? And where exactly is that? Because, I mean, right now, they're so far behind the rest. Let's, let's say the top six. To break into that now, they are years behind the development of, let's say, the ones outside the top four of Chelsea, uh, City, Liverpool and um, and United. So they're, they're not even chasing them now. They've got to make up ground to Spurs, West Ham and Arsenal. Yeah, they have. Um, and the thing is, we know what their ambitions are because they've got lost ambitions because they've got a new stadium to come um, on the waterfront of Liverpool. Um, Let me tell you, a new stadium does not equal success. <laughs> we'll throw that in there. The, the opposite, usually. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know people did tell Everton that, but um, they couldn't give it anyway. So we, we know full well what Farad Machiri and Bill Kenwright want flat club and they want to be challenging in the European spots and playing European football. And, you know, they spent a lot of money to try and accomplish that over the last couple of years and it's not quite worked out so far. To sort of go back to your first question about Lampard, we, about where he's going to be good enough to take them where they want to be, I don't think anyone knows yet because I'm not quite sure anyone can safely say how good or bad Frank Lampard is the manager. And I think what Dan alluded to there is probably the closest we're going to get to an answer because so far it is it has been a bit underwhelming. Um, you know, the, okay, yes, Derby to you know, you know, the playoff final in the championship. But if you look at their underlying numbers from that season, the it's hard to say that they, they, it's 
made it difficult to say they got lucky over that season, but I think it's I think he did. And I think with Chelsea, okay, gets him to the top four and I think that, that deserves to, you know, a big tick by his name. Um, yeah. And he brought a lot of youth players in, and, and you know they were good for large parts that season. But they, when they got beat, they got they got battered in games. And then when they got you know they got dismantled at Sheffield United, and, and you, you thought this isn't a coach who's been able to set up a team, set up a team to defend. And and the thing is, okay, last season with Chelsea, they're ninth when he gets sacked, and you know what looks bad on him is that that team ends up going on to win the Champions League and it's pretty much the same players are still there now with the battle of Romelu Lukaku who hasn't really had an effect on the team so far this year but it's pretty much the same same first 11 and it's a team that's been challenging the title up until recently so I think that doesn't really bode well for Lampard but maybe maybe what this is is that Lampard maybe, maybe his fans level at Everton and I don't think we can really say you know, has he got the ability to take them where they want to be? Because you know, in the future, because right now it's it's all about the next five months and, and keeping out in the Premier League. And up until yesterday, I would say I, I probably would have put a lot of money on everything going down because <clears throat> Watford have gone and got a new manager who's capable of keeping a lot of teams in the Premier in, in the top place. He's done it. He's got the record to do it. And Norwich has shown signs of life recently. I think that will fizzle out, but they've shown they've got capable of winning games. And then if you're thinking, I think Newcastle end up finding a way to get safe. And Everton, I think, we're just on a, on a hide into nowhere. Now, it's they've got a bit of optimism about them now because they've got a new guy in and they've brought new players in. And that might take them somewhere and, and Cavalry won't get back to full fitness. So so let's see. I, I think they, they might end up being safe, but that's what it's going to be about for the next five months is, is keeping them open and making sure there's, you know, Deli Alley isn't playing championship football next season. I would say they're probably verging on safe. That that would be my guess, even if it's seventeenth. There's going to be a new manager bounce there now, I reckon. That's my prediction. Yeah. Even though I don't think Lampard is a top quality coach and I don't uh, you know, think he's, he's he's going to attract quality players, I think he has. it's going to sort of hit the reset button a little bit, Everton, and it's going to bring a new energy to the to the club that, that hasn't been there. And I think that will be enough to, for them to stave off relegation quite comfortably this season. And then we'll see we'll see where they go next season, yeah. Might only need three or four wins off them, which a new manager bounce can provide. Mm. I think they play Newcastle's the first league game. I think they played Brentford in the cup before, but if they going to beat Newcastle in the first game, you can see how they ride that wave and end up getting two or three more wins. And looking at the state of the bottom of the Premier League, that's probably enough to keep them up. Yeah, that new manager bounce hasn't worked for Watford in the like the last four years. They're still <laughs> trying it, so who knows? Um, <laughs> Delhi actually left Spurs though, and he wasn't only the only one out of the door uh, in North London. Brian Hill, Tangin Dombele, and Giovanni Lo Celso all left on loan deals. Um, getting rid of unwanted players is a good idea. We touched on it there with Arsenal. Is it so good to let four midfielders go at once, though, Dan? <laughs> Have you seen Deli Ali's uh, goodbye video yet, Matt? By the way, I I've watched just, it before we came on. I haven't seen it. I've just finished. I just stopped crying. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw some Spurs fans saying, "Oh, it made me really emotional." I was like, "Come on, it's only Deli Ali." And then I watched yeah. it, and I was a bit emotional. I'm not even a Spurs fan, so yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, in answer to your question, I mean, um, I th- well, I think the two lads they brought in are pretty good signings, mm. to be fair. So it's only really letting two midfield field players go. I think Deli Ali's been a, a Spurs player in name only for quite a while now, hasn't he? Really, and hasn't been playing an awful lot. Um, 
and Dombele, same really. Yeah, I think it, I think it's probably a good move for both parties to just just cut the losses and and cut ties with him now and and say goodbye. The Lacelso one's a little bit confusing to me because I always thought he was pretty good for Spurs. I've I've no. I'm shaking, <laughs> shaking my head, head on camera. Yeah. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. No. Why not? Because I always thought he was quite highly rated there and, and quite. Just he came in much like Ndombele as a Pochettino signing, and he obviously saw a way that he could fit into the system, but he just doesn't really have a, uh, the right role in the team. The injuries have affected him, and he seems to be unbelievable for Argentina at every international <laughs> break. Comes back, and then he's injured. He hasn't quite got it in him. I don't know. I don't know what it is about him, but you're right. I think it hasn't worked out. Is the main the main takeaway. Yeah. What him. about Brian Hill? Is he is he going to come back or is he... He, he was bought in in the summer. I, I was I was discussing this yesterday with a friend. I think he was bought in in the summer when we played a different tactic. Mm. And that's it. I don't think he's not a wing back. He's not a uh, number 10. He's not a striker. He just does not fit into an Antonio Conte system. Um, uh, and I can't... I can't lie, I would have rather seen him him join a Premier League team to get more Premier League experience because, mm-hmm. you know, he can do it with... Um, with Valencia where he's gone alone. He could do it with every team in La Liga if he wants to, but he's, that's still not the Premier League. Mm. So I'm, I'm not mad keen about that loan. But yeah, you mentioned the two players coming in though. You said they're good signings. Uh, Joel, I'm, I'm interested to get your take. Rodrigo Bentancur and Dejan Kulusevski, both of them come in looking like players that Conte wanted to fit into a Conte system. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I- Luke Kuluzewski, I think that's a, a really could be a really good signing. Um, he's someone who you know really shone when he was at Parma, and he gets what was it, ten goals and similar amount of assists when he's you know only eighteen, nineteen. Then gets that big move to Juventus, and it's not quite not quite hit off there just yet. But, you know, he's only been there you know, one and a half seasons properly, and he's still only twenty one, so he shouldn't be written off. But I'm intrigued to see where he would fit in in a, in a Conte team. Whether that, that's going to be as one of the number tens, um, uh, or sorry, say one of the forward supporting Kane with Son on the left, and like you were saying, we spoke about this yet yesterday, Matt Kuzeski maybe on the right and cutting on on his left foot, and, and that that could potentially be exciting, and, and I'm I'm intrigued to see how that works out because he's definitely got talent. And one weird thing about him though is that the reason he wears he wore the number forty four or wears the number forty four is because his hero is Adnan Yanazai, who... What? What? Yeah, that came out. He did an interview, so I, I, I apologise, can't remember who uh, tweeted about that today. He's interview someone, and it might have even been the Athletic, actually. And he said, yeah, his hero is Adnan Yanazai, and um, he, he feels far too young to be a hero of someone. I'm not sure that's aged me completely, but... <laughs> that is... You know what? That's, that's exactly like Harland and Meet You. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, that's weirder than Holland and Beach. Yeah. God. Um, fair by Adnan, yeah. Um, as for Bantanko, there's the one maybe a bit more apprehensive about for, for Spurs because if, I, I think he's a talented footballer, but I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying to see how he fits into that Spurs and field and, and what he offers that they don't already have. I mean, he could be a better version of Pierre Emil Hoiberg, but I, I think he is more down that sort of route of, of Hoiberg and up on skip rather than maybe a more creative midfield that, that I think we needed. You know, he's not set up a goal in the last few seasons in Serie A. Uh, yeah, he, was, he, he scored seven or eight a couple of seasons ago, but he's not quite hit those heights again recently, in the last couple of years. So it's, I, I think he's maybe sort of, let's say, an industrious midfielder when they perhaps needed something 
a bit more sprightly and energetic in there. So we'll see. I mean, Conte could have just put two absolute bruises in his midfield now and, and that could end up working and, and fair play to him if that's the case. But um, that's the one I'm, I'm not, I can't quite sure how the fit works just yet, but we'll see. I, you know, I, I might, probably you're the best player to probably answer that in terms of how, how you see them both fitting in. Yeah, I, I think the Bentancur one is definitely interesting because he looks more of a squad player than Kulusevski does. Hmm. Um, I, I, in my head, I keep thinking that Conte is trying to replicate this three-five-two at Inter Milan, right? You're going to have a creative player in the midfield, you're going to have a destroyer, and you're going to have a box-to-box like Barella. Clearly, that box-to-box and and subsequent goal scorer is not Skip, is not Hoybia, is not going to be Bentacore, and is not Harry Winks. So that leaves me with the thought that these front three of Kulusevski, Son and Kane are going to be, they're it when it comes to goal scoring. They have to be it because there is nobody else. So I, I think the Kulusevski role, like we mentioned yesterday, cutting in off the right um, or even being a second striker, I think in a 3-5-2 formation would even be a 3-4-1-2. So you'd have your three at the back, your two wing backs. Um, two central midfielders, like you said, Hoiber and Skip, Hoiber and Bentancor, and then Kulusevski basically given a free role behind Son and Kane to make something happen. But the the one key thing I think is that Conte clearly wanted them. They're young players, and they've got all the traits of a Conte player. Not necessarily the quality, but I think he can mould them into something. I th- that that's where I see it. If I'm did he really you know. want them, or did Parasici just say, "I can get you two midfielders. I've got a mate at Juventus still." Well, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I think he and Antonio work a little bit closer than that. I'm not sure it's. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm saying this more out of hope than the knowledge. <laughs> so don't, don't take my word for it. Uh, moving on next, though, and to uh, Newcastle, where Matt Target was signed on loan last night. Ooh, I can hear the noise mm. from the audience. Um, and Dan Byrne, the boyhood Newcastle fan, I found out. Uh, this means, really? along with Trippier, Wood and Gimaraes, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, I think they've got some Premier League experience, plus top European experience in, in Gimaraes. Uh Was this as ridiculous a transfer as many as predicted, Dan? Transfer window, even. Well, no, I think it was a pretty solid transfer window, really. I was I was kind of hoping at a, a, a midnight last night they might make a £100 million bid for 39-year-old Kaka or something like that, something crazy, you know, but... Uh... But 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 it never it never happened, and I think you have to say they've done pretty well. I was I was saying on the podcast last week that I um, thought that they they needed perhaps more than anything were kind of enforcer centre half to really sort of marshal the defence and lead the defence. I don't know if Dan Byrne is that player. I, I would say probably not, but I, I think he's quite a good player, Dan Byrne. I quite, I quite like him, and it's not just because his name sounds very similar to mine. <laughs> I thought you'd <laughs> side for Newcastle. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a boyhood Newcastle fan, unfortunately. <laughs> Apparently Chris Wood's a boyhood Newcastle fan as well. Really? So I don't know whether, whether that was sort of like they just rang up everyone, yeah. in, every agent in the Premier League said, have you got any Newcastle fans <laughs> on your roster? They're, they're doing a Robbie Keane. Yeah. yeah. Every time he turns yeah, up, yeah. oh, it's my boyhood club. Oh, really, Robbie? <laughs> Kerala Blasters. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Matt Target's a decent player, decent option to have at left back. Trippier, obviously a great signing. I think Chris Wood will score some goals for them. Um, we'll see how many. And, and Gimaresh, a great signing. I think he uh, he's a, a lot of uh, clubs in Europe would have would have 
found a place for him in their team. I think he's he looks like a really good player. We'll see how he adapts to the Premier League, but he's looked really good for Leon. I think he's been one of the best players in, in Ligue 1 this season. So, and it's not it's not an outrageous amount of money that they pay for him either. Really. They don't seem to have been ripped off for anyone, which would have been my worry as a Newcastle fan that they would have to pay some hideous transfer fees to get players in and, and end up wasting loads of money. Um, so yeah, I think you have to say it's a pretty solid window. I'm feeling pretty confident about their chances of staying up now. I would say. I would, I would almost put money on the fact that they would stay up, actually. Yeah, I think they've sorted out the defence for me. I think they were always... They had potential going forward, but when you look at the key lineup, uh, starting lineup now, the key signings are in defence. I mean, they're three out of four are new. Target, Burn and Trippier all, all alongside Lascelles. You'd probably think, if anything, they just want to concede so many. If, mm. if, they don't, if they aren't scoring that many, they just want to be leaky at the back. Um, next up, and it, it's a nice story. It's a nice story yesterday, earlier on in the day, as Christian Eriksen returned to the Premier League. Now, I don't want to disrespect Brentford here, um, but if you do, come at me on Twitter, at Matt underscore Froelich, that's absolutely fine. Um, but could he have gone to a bigger side, Joel? It's tricky because I, I think it, it's it's wonderful that he's actually managed to even get himself back into football and that, you know, there's another club that have taken him on because, you know, obviously he wasn't allowed to play in Serie A because of... You know the fact he, you know, he's he's got to wear something to keep his heart sort of healthy, let's say, during football now. And I, I think it's it's just wonderful that we are going to see him play football again. And I can understand why maybe there's a bit of scepticism that he's you know he's gone to Brentford and he probably still has the talent to to play for you know a bigger club or you know let's let's say a top European club. But you know maybe these clubs weren't sure whether he, he would be able to play football again and, and maybe there's a time a couple of months ago that Christian Eriksen didn't think he was going to play football again and, and you know it's it is just really lovely to see that we are going to see him back on the football pitch because you know it is I think everyone listening to this and us three included will sadly remember that event and, and, and can think back to it and you know haunt us for quite a while and, and thankfully you know there was good news at the end of it, and, and there's good news now, and I'm excited to see what he, what he could do there. Um, I'm excited to see him back in, in back in the Premier League, and, and I think there will always be a bit of sort of caution from probably you know Brentford fans and, and his teammates, and, and making sure that he is okay to play. And, you know, let, let's hope that he is, and that he'll prove to be. And all the medical checks seem to suggest that he is. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think. There's going to be a big story on that from now until the end of the season, whether he scores a winning goal in a in a big game from like a free kick or puts a corner in or something, and and that's the game that keeps Brentford up. I, I just think football has a weird way sometimes of of nice karma, um, and I think you know, and also one thing that the Barclays Premier League loves is a, is a narrative, and um, and I think it'll, it'll <laughs> wait between now and the end of the season, it'll bring something that and Ericsson will be the, the back page for all the. You know, nice reasons this time. I do love a good story. Not as much, though, as I like a good announcement video. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, we're, I was laughing at this yesterday. Vult Veghorst to sign for Burnley from Wolfsburg. Have you seen a better announcement video, Dan? He he plays the role of T-Rex in Jurassic Park, for those of <laughs> you who haven't seen yeah. it. No, I haven't seen one. I mean, I, I am quite uh, cynical and curmudgeonly about these things these days and think like, yes, was it Valencia? I'd like some lad from Harry Potter announcing one of their transfers. I'm like, come yeah. on, <laughs> just give it a rest. But this one was, 
this one really made me laugh. It was genuinely brilliant. I'd love to know how much Burnley spent on that, though, because it can't be cheap getting footage from Universal Studios or whatever from Jurassic Park, can it? They must, oh, it must oh, be pretty good. When they asked what they, what they need more it on for. that than they spent on, on Veghorst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, we've got this new guy in, and we need him to look like a dinosaur, so we're just going to make him yeah. a bit green. Can we borrow some footage? I mean, footage? what was the joke? Was it that Veghorst sounds a bit like a dinosaur? Well, I guess he's just that... a big bloke. I mean, he's not T-Rex-sized, right, okay. but... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, maybe... Yeah. No, it, it was very good, to be fair, yeah. It's the famous water-trembling story of 2019 that they were referencing. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a story. I can see a bit of confusion <laughs> on your face there. Is he serious? Uh, no, but in all seriousness, though, he has been charged with scoring the goals to keep Burnley up, and uh, given being the perfect target man. Does this suit Sean Dyche's side, Joel? The, the reason I'm asking is because they had a target man in Chris Wood, and they were still bottom. So what's the what's bringing in a different target man going to do if they can't create the chances for him? Well, yeah, you know, that's that's the question. Um, I've been a few weeks ago I was on this podcast and said I really would love Burnley to sign Alexander Mitrovic, but I think <laughs> they've maybe <laughs> got someone of a, of a similar ilk. Let's say, um, I mean, Vegas hasn't had a great season this, this year. I mean, he's still scored six goals in you know, seventeen, eighteen games, and he's done all right. But Wolfsburg have been have been terrible, and, and I think. That's maybe played some part on, on why he's not been good. But we did get 20 goals in the Bundesliga last year, so he clearly knows where the onion bag is. But but yeah, that, I think I think he will bring something to them. But what you've said there about will he be able to create the chances for him? I think that's going to be the one that, that that's the real second issue because they've not added anyone else. They probably need to bring in a bit more creativity in the field. Um, and and they're just relying on let's say Dwight McNeil, and that's probably about it. Who's going to you know, put the ball in or you know, play the through ball, it's gonna unlock the door for, for their course and I think that's gonna be a real issue. Um but Burnley have, have survived for, for years about really having too much creativity in midfield and, and somehow managed to get goals for, for Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes up there and I you know we've got Maxwell Corney coming back from the African Cup of Nations as well. So you know maybe there's a bit more hope for Burnley than it was at the start of last week. But um yeah, if if the, if McNeil can create the chances for him, they give themselves a fighting chance. But I, I'm still a bit concerned for Burnley this year. Well, I think Maxwell I think they're going down. Yeah, Maxwell Cornet's coming back. He's a pretty big difference, I would say. I'm not sure enough enough of a difference. Mm. But you said earlier that the the bottom of the league with Chris Wood in the team, the bottom of the league with Maxwell Cornet in the team as well. Yeah. So he's he's not made that much but difference. I heard really. I heard he likes dinosaurs though. So him and Veghorst. <laughs> It's just a partnership <laughs> waiting to happen. Uh, moving on to Manchester City, uh, Julian Alvarez was uh, was confirmed on the day of his 22nd birthday, having finished top scorer in last season's Argentine Premier Division. He looks like a top player, Dan, but I want to know what you were doing on your 22nd birthday. <laughs> God, I can't remember being sick into a bin somewhere, probably. Or... Mind you, I was doing that last week as well, so not much has changed, really. <laughs> I certainly wasn't signing for Manchester City. I yeah, I was going to say yeah. that. That's a pretty it's a pretty big deal on your 22nd birthday. Are you excited about the prospect of him joining? Obviously, it's going to be in the summer. Yeah, uh, well, summer at the earliest, it seems, because mm. they reckon he might end up staying even longer at River Plate, because uh, I think they've got the... Copa Libertadores next year. Obviously, the Argentine season is run sort of uh, opposite to the, mm. the European season, doesn't it? Um, I mean, it's a bit of an odd one, really, I suppose, that we've signed a 22-year-old when we need a striker and we're letting him spend the rest of the season at River Plate. It seems almost like, well, he's 22. What, why can't we get him now? What's 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 What are we waiting for? Um, and a few people have sort of wondered if it's going to be one of these where he'll go on loan to Girona and we'll never never see the light of day. You know, become one of these city 
your football group players. I don't think it is going to be like that. I think they've paid over £20 million pounds for him. Um, he is 22. He, he is very highly rated. I mean, I to be honest with you, I'd, I'd, I'd never heard of him before about five or six weeks ago when I started hearing him being on the radar of Manchester United and Chelsea and Bayern Munich and all this. But uh, I believe all the top clubs have had a look at him and City won the race for his signature and Guardiola's apparently very eager to work with him and he is the long-term replacement for Ferran Torres and I think if he works out to be as good as his potential is, then selling Ferran Torres and getting this guy for half the price has to be considered a decent bit of business, really. So, yeah, I love an Argentine footballer. We uh, we need someone to replace Sergio Aguero. Apparently, Alvarez has modelled his game on Aguero and he's his, he's his hero. So, uh, it's it's all looking pretty promising, yeah? It's a better hero than Adan Yanazai. That's all that's yeah. I'm going to say about yeah. that one. <laughs> um, next up, we've got Aaron Ramsey who is back in the UK with a move to Rangers, turning down several Premier League loan moves. Why? How? What is he going to get there, Joel? Please explain. It is a strange one on paper, isn't it? I, I, I just wonder whether, just theorising whether he's maybe got one eye on, on the World Cup in December and is, is mainly just doing this move for, for getting it back to match fitness and, and getting sharp again because... Ramsey hasn't played for the events as properly since the end of September. Um, and it obviously injuries have played a part in that. And, and injuries have always had a bit of an issue for, for Ramsey, sadly. But, um, you know, he, I think he's still a 31. He's still got a fair couple of years left in him. And he's still got, the, you know, a lot of talent. And I, I thought he would have made a Premier League move this window, to be honest with you. I, was, I really expect him to, to rock up with someone like Crystal Palace on, on deadline day. And, and you think of Rangers, and you know, no offense to, to the Scottish League, and everyone does maybe disrespect it a bit too much, but it's obviously not the same tempo as the Premier League. And I wonder whether, you know, one, he's thinking, you know, he's got a chance to win the, the title, and that's always nice for a footballer. But two, maybe he's thinking he won't get completely worn out and tired playing up in the Scottish Premiership than, than he would, in, you know, down, down south in, in the English Premier League. And I wonder if he's thinking he's got a, a chance here to to play a lot of games for now and may get fit again. And then, you know, he assesses his, his, his future at the, in the summer, whether, you know, his contract at UVA expires, you know, runs out or, and he ends up getting a move somewhere. And, and let's see. And I, I'm actually thinking, you know, it's an issue to theory, but it does prove correct. Whether, you know, maybe we see Gareth Bale make a, a strange or similar sort of move in the summer as well. And it ends up at a club that you don't think could afford him or he should be playing at. But ends up just going there and plays for five months and, and gets fit, uh, and and hopefully you know manages to get himself fit to to play in the playoffs for Wales, and then hopefully I'd love yeah. to see Gareth Bale at Aberdeen. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I actually did think that's probably a part of the reason of the move. I think it's probably the the continuity of of playing games without getting injured all the time in obviously leagues that were maybe a bit too much for him. Um, but talking of different leagues, though, move on to a couple of hot topics for the week. Uh, we'll we'll trade the Premier League for some lower league action now. I want to touch upon Bournemouth in the Championship, sitting pretty in third position, just one point off the promotion uh, of the automatic promotion places, and having one hell of a deadline day. Um, we brought in five players: Freddie Woodman on loan, who's a backup goalkeeper from Newcastle, um, but Kiefer Moore from Cardiff, twenty-five Championship goals in the last eighteen months. Todd Cantwell on loan from Norwich, tipped for multi-multi-million pound move last summer uh, and and the last few years with Norwich. Premier League quality. Um, 
and his contract expiring at the end of the season. Nat Phillips on loan from Liverpool, also known as the Bolton Beresi. Thank you for that, Joel. Um, you know, he's, earlier in the season, he's doing Cruyff turns away at AC Milan. And now, and now he's, you know, down on the south coast, about to do some things for Bournemouth. And they're also brought in Siriki Dembele as well, uh, who's moved up through the leagues and had a pretty good uh, go of it with Peterborough as well. Is this good planning from Bournemouth? Are they setting themselves up for not only promotion, but to then actually be good again once they come up? Or should they be doing this once they've achieved it, Dan? I mean, I did see a tweet from somebody yesterday who suggested that this is Scott Parker just sort of signing a load of players to, to sort of make up for his, his shortcomings as a manager, which I'm kind of inclined to agree with, to be honest. The jury is very much still out. For, yeah, but they were top at one point, weren't they? They made a pretty blistering start, mm. as I recall, and, and, uh, and have petered off. Uh, petered out, should I say? Petered off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a thing, is it? Um, probably should be. Um, pretty badly. So yeah, I, I, I think those are. That's a very solid transfer window. You have to say. I don't think Nat Phillips is a good player. Todd Campwell is one that could really look. I mean, he looked great in the Championship for Norwich last season. For whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out for him. Um, whenever they've been in the Premier League, Kiefer Moore, his goal scoring record is really good. I don't know an awful lot about uh, Siriki Dembele to be honest, but. Um, it looks like a, the sort of transfer window that could propel them uh, back to, towards the top of the table. Um, they're going to be aiming for that automatic promotion spot because I feel like Fulham are probably going to win the championship this season now. So, yeah, get them back in the Premier League and, and no one, no one's really worried about Scott Parker's shortcomings as a coach, are they? And then we'll see how it goes next season, I guess. But... Um, yeah, I think they're in, they're in pretty good shape. I was researching this Siriki Dembele, who's who's had a brilliant brilliant time for Grimsby and Peterborough. You know, uh, he is the older brother of Caraboco Dembele, that Celtic youngster. Oh yeah, who came on at fifteen or whatever it was uh, at the back end of the season. So yeah, a good footballing family there. Isn't it mad how many families go on to have like loads of professional footballers? Yeah, like, I know. Be like, like fathers and sons or brothers or whatever, like. We had we had fathers and daughters for the first time the other day. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's uh, oh, daughter yeah. made her uh, her debut for Manchester United Women. Astonishing, honestly. My dad and brother, what are they doing? Um, <laughs> not in football, that's what. Um, moving on, though, and actually, funnily enough, Dan, you very off cuff. You mentioned a thirty-nine-year-old signing for Newcastle in Kaka. There is a 39-year-old back in the northeast, but it's with Sunderland, and it is Jermaine Defoe uh, getting a second go at it. I noticed actually on a quick bit of research today, Sunderland are, are also third in their division in League One, like like with uh, with Bournemouth. They have scored the most goals in the division, but also have conceded the most out of the top 11. <laughs> so I figured Defoe is here to score so many goals that Sunderland can't possibly out-concede their own attacking achievements. Um, <laughs> but he sticks the other day, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That probably contributed to it. Um <laughs> Is this the right move or has romanticism driven this decision, Joel? I mean, this is a vastly different club to the one he left in the Premier League a few years back. Yeah, but I think there is a bit of romanticism about it, but I think we can all afford to be a bit more romantic from time to time. Uh, Football has lost its romanticism in the last couple of years. So, um, And I'm a romantic, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up, got one eye on it, and I I think... (laughs) You know, a, a really nice move. I like I, when I saw it go through yesterday. I was, you know, let, let out a, a, a wry smile, should we say? Because it, it, it's it is it, the foe. You know, I mean, I remember when he first joined Sunderland. I saw that his career was coming to an end, and he, he was going up there to sort of 
they'll play out the remaining years of it. And, and he, he had a really good time up there and, you know, helped keep them up at the time. And, and the summer fans loved him. And, you know, he, he, he did a lot for that club and terms of community as well. And uh, and it was great. And he looked like he was really happy up there. And it's nice to see, you know, that he is probably in the remaining years of his career now. And he's gone up there. And, and if he can help him get back up to the championship, you know, it does his legacy no harm at all, does it? And you know, there are only one point off the automatic places. I've been a bit flaky recently, and, and maybe you're right, Matt. Maybe he's just going to score loads of goals and get them up. And I, I am for one. I am here for it. I would absolutely love that. I would love to see it. You'll be back in the World Cup squad by the end of the year. Um, I, love, I love how you two are talking as if he had like the pick of all the clubs in Europe and he's gone, no, I want to go back to Sunderland. I'm a romantic at heart. Yeah, yeah. Real Madrid, no thank you. It's Sunderland he, for me. He had, the, he had a pick of a few apparently, but I'm not quite sure they were last year's as Real Madrid. Um, we'll move on actually to a, a question of the week. This is funny, we were talking... Uh, off, off, uh, off, Mike. Is that how you say? Off air. I think we'll go with. I was going to say off, off camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be anything. Um, my brother had sent in a few questions, actually wanting to know, and, and he he asked about the first ever loan transfer, which we thought was a ridiculous question. But he has sent me the answer. Believe it. Did or you find not. out the answer to that? By the way. Oh yeah, go on. Yeah. So he sent me the answer. Apparently, there was different proposals back in the sixties, which were sort of bands came in and out um but in 1967 Torquay United signed 19 year old winger John Docker on loan from Coventry scored on his debut over local rivals Exeter played three more games and uh never played for Coventry at all so that is it John Docker the first ever loan piece of history there yeah wouldn't you just know it but he did (laughs) he did have an actual question for you boys as well um and he said who will the best signing be in the short term so i guess we're looking sort of towards the end of the season in in the premier league uh yeah got premier league best sign short term i still think chris Uh, yeah the goals to keep him up yeah i I was going to go flip side and say veghorst at burnley with the goals to keep them up Maybe both of them. <laughs> <laughs> both yeah, the risk of being boring, I think I'm going to say Chris Wood as well. Yeah, I thought you. I hope you were going to pit for Dan Byrne there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go for it. Uh, right. Well, thank you very much for that question. We now come to the final part of this week's episode. A little bit shorter than normal. Just a quick roundup of the transfer stuff. But I thought we'd end with a fun game, a fun little quiz. I was thinking higher or lower. So I'm pretty sure how you, you guys know how this works to test how much you've been paying attention to the transfer market. <laughs> it was either this or you, blind date. Are you going to do a Bruce Forsyth impression? <laughs> yeah, <that was> <laughs> I was thinking that or, or blind date, but I I never got over that show ever since my dad told me that Cilla Black used to be called Cilla White. Did you know that? Is that true? Yeah, mate. I what? thought he was. I Cilla thought White he was, was having like a stage name, was it? Yeah. No, I, I think she married. Might married. And I oh, thought right, he was okay. having me on, and she was born Cilla White. I thought, honestly, I thought my dad was playing a prank, but turns out not. Anyway, the the good old blind date days. No, we'll go higher or lower instead. Um, So you can work as a team, you two, on this one. So basically, I'll just read out a transfer. Uh, We'll start the first one as easy. So Dusan Vlahovic to Juventus for 81.6 million euros. And then we'll go from there higher or lower, see if you can make it to the end. I will say I took these. uh, They're all in euros. And they are just the original fee, so no bonuses included. Okay. 
in these right. ones. So, kick things off. Lahovic from U- to Juventus, eighty-one point six million, higher or lower? The what? Uh, the, the, what's the next one? Oh right, okay. Um, oh, do you want me to give you low? the? Oh, I'm supposed to give you the name. I, I, I thought you were <laughs> going to give us the name. <laughs> You're right. Sorry. See, Bruce Forsyth would have never done this. Uh, <laughs> Luis Diaz to Liverpool. Lower. Lower. Lower with 45 million euros. Bruno Guimaraes to Newcastle. Uh, lower? I, I'd say a bit higher, I would say. Wasn't it like 40 million plus? No? Or do you, don't know. Should, we, should we play against each other instead of being a team? <laughs> Yeah, but then if one of you's out, <laughs> it would just it would just be continuing. We'll go. We'll go. We'll go, right, we'll go, we'll go with your. We'll go with your answer then, Joel. I trust you. It's a good answer because it's forty-two million uh, euros. Just you've made that right. Next one, David Neres to Shakhtar. It's got to be lower, hasn't it? Lower with twelve million euros. Nice. Uh, next up, Jean Philippe Mateta to Crystal Palace. Lower Ooh, or higher than 12 window? million? Yeah, yes. That was, yeah, yeah, yesterday. I made, made it permanent. That was higher because I remember reporting on it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't paying any attention, so I'll take your, I'll take your uh, word for that one, yeah. It's actually lower. <laughs> 11 million. That's bad, isn't it? 11 million euros, yeah. I think that was certainly the base fee. Um so you, you've made it to five, but we'll go through the rest of them just to see if you can get through. Uh, next up, Zachariah to Juventus. That's a free transfer, wasn't it? So, oh no, it wasn't. No, right. Uh, He's on, he was on a free in the summer. Yeah, I'm going to have to defer to you again here, Joel. I was going to trust you because I messed up the last one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's say the lower. It was lower than Mateta. Yes, it was uh, five million with three point six million potentially added on. Bargain. Uh, so from five million, Nathan Patterson to Everton. Higher. That was about thirteen million, wasn't it? I think. Fourteen million. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Bentancourt to Spurs. High. Higher, Higher, I reckon. Yeah. Higher. Nineteen million euros. Uh, Chris Wood to Newcastle. Higher. That was like 25 million, wasn't it? Yeah, I've got yeah. it in euros. So yeah, 30 yeah. million euros. Uh, then Vitali Mayolenko to Everton. Oh, it's been lower. Ooh, I reckon that's oh, was it? a bit lower, yeah. 23.5 million. Oh, you've picked up pace again. Two more. <laughs> Julian Alvarez to Man City. Oh, um, I think it was about 22 million pounds, that one. So we're saying about 25 million euros. So higher? Oh, it might be. I've got lower here because of the original fee. Oh, you're probably fee. right. Uh, I don't know. The yeah. original fee of 17 million. I think with add-ons, it might be higher. Uh, and the last one is Big Horse to Burnley. 17 million, higher or lower? Lower, I think. Natural. It's lower. Just <laughs> 14 million. Joel, I would yeah. not trust you in a pub quiz. To be fair... I'm not sure I trust me because some of these numbers sound pretty dodgy. It's either me or you, Dan. It's not me, mate. (laughs) (laughs) It's me then. It's wherever I found these sources on the internet. Anyway, that concludes higher or lower for this week. (laughs) Maybe we'll be back with some more fun. Maybe we'll play the generation game next week. Do you remember when Alan Shearer for £15 million felt like the most money (laughs) in the world? 
What's happened? I do. And he did that signing <laughs> when he came out and he was wearing tracksuit bottoms and a Newcastle shirt. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's no way to... Uh, to be fair, though, you say that's no way to introduce yourself. That picture of him holding the scarf is probably a better announcement video than anything else we've seen on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. And the memory lives on. Anyway, that's all for this week as the deadline day closes. You can tweet, of course, myself or the One Football page with any other questions and all sorts of tidbits you want to pick up on during the week. For next week's episode, you can also drop us an email at podcast at onefootball.com. That's all we have time for. Thanks to my guests, as always. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and we'll be back again next week. So, see you then. Mm-hmm.